Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. We haven't had today's guest on the show in months. Chris Conacher, welcome. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's great to hear you and see you. The guy's got his own podcast now. That's why. He doesn't have time to share any podcast time with his friends. He's got his own podcast. It's true. We've noticed this with several people who don't want to come on the show anymore. They have <laughs> other things. They, they either have jobs or they have podcasts. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be as good as you guys and catch up. So, yeah, you know, it takes time. So we wanted to talk to you about a subject that we actually covered a few weeks ago when Apple said that music was changing forever with the Dolby Atmos and the spatial audio. You've had a number of comments about this. We'll remind our listeners that you on the audiophile style website, which is a haven for audiophiles, but not everyone is totally obsessed audiophile, like you're more flexible than the others. And you sort of are interested in things that might be a little bit different, but you're very critical about spatial audio and Dolby Atmos. Can we just sort of go over the, the basics again? So if people haven't heard this, they'll understand. Uh, Apple Music is now offering music in lossless, so that's CD quality, high resolution, and this is a variety of different levels of high resolution, and spatial audio slash Dolby Atmos. And it's important to know that they're not exactly the same thing, even though Apple's kind of muddying the water, suggesting that Dolby Atmos is spatial audio. And so this changes music a bit. Link in the show notes to our episode where we said it doesn't change that much. What's your feeling? What your gut feeling when you heard about this first? What did you think about, Chris? Okay. So at first, of course, I'm skeptical. Um, you know, it, it's brought to you by the company that brought you the round mouse and the new <laughs> magic mouse that requires you to flip it over to recharge. So that said, I fill my office with Apple products and my house and all of that. So I'm a big fan of music. Um, and I'm excited when I see anything that could take the experience to another level and that other level, meaning better or forward versus if they were going to go to 64 kilobit per second, MP3, I would have been not excited, but you know, it's, this could be better in the long run. It could be better, but right now, oof, oof, ouch. Yeah. That, that's what I have to say about it. Oof. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> Define oof. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, spatial audio to me is just a gigantic flop right now because for a couple of reasons. What I've listened to, I think, just sounds plain weird. And I would be okay with the weird if Pink Floyd says, you know, we went back to our original masters for Dark Side of the Moon and we created a spatial audio version that this is what we want. If we could have done this back in the 70s, this is what we would have done, or this is something that's awesome. Here it is. I'd be all on board with that because that's what the art is, you know, and it's the same with our podcasts. If we record a podcast and we get the audio how we want, if we just uploaded that and somebody turned that into a Dolby spatial audio, I'd be like, that's not what I released, <laughs> you know? So I'm all for, I love it. If it's what the artist wants. Hey, Doug, I've got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> how about we put how about we put me in the middle chris on the left and you on the right channel right. 
See, then it becomes then it becomes what I think it is, and that's kind of gimmicky. Exactly. It's like a gimmick, and it's a it's as you say, it's an interesting gimmick. I mean, for instance, if you go into the studio and say, you know, this Dolby Atmos thing. What'll it enable me to do? Like put little angel voices up here? Well, that'd be fun. I'll do that. I get that. But as you say, going back and just resurrecting, you know, I don't want to hear any Miles Davis in spatial audio or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely not. You know, but I think going forward, if an artist is in a studio that's got the ability to do this, they could create some magic. But... You know, going back to the old stuff is just, it's, I don't know, it's stupid. Yeah, I want to talk about the magic bit later. First, what you're saying, and the example that I've been using is Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. This would be the ideal album, you know, with those bits that are panning back and forth. And and to get the surround sound in there would be really interesting. But would it be that interesting? So I've been listening to some spatial audio on my iMac today. I listened to Freebird, so you don't have to. What I think of it is that it just sounds like one of those sort of iTunes plugins that gives you faux surround sound. But what's worse, and I'm going to cite the example that I used in our previous episode, is in the jazz and spatial audio playlist. Monin by Art Plakey and the Jazz Messengers starts out with a little bit of a piano riff and then the band comes in. But the piano is behind me to the left. And I don't know how they do this, but it's behind me to the left. Now, I wasn't sitting on the stage when it was recorded. No one was on the stage. There's not enough room when they record these kinds of things. And the idea of the piano being that far away, but behind me, literally behind me, makes absolutely no sense. I listened to a couple Beatles tracks from Sgt. Pepper, and you get these weird things that are just like, no, no. It's, it's like... When it's like when you cook something and you put too much salt in it and you taste it and the the taste is there, but it's just it's just ruined by something. Yeah, you know, we've kind of been down a similar path before when multi-channel came in. Everybody was like, oh, this is the next best thing. And then you sit down and you listen to an Aerosmith album and you have a cowbell behind you. It's like, uh, OK, yeah, I, I don't think that was that ever happened at a live performance. That's for sure. So. For people who want to reproduce a live performance, that's usually going to come from straight ahead. Um, but like Dark Side of the Moon, there was no live performance of all of that. So I could see something very cool coming from that. But this is every I, way I look at this. I'm frustrated. I did a little reading about Dolby Atmos. And of course, it comes from the video. Um, it comes from theaters, in mo- mo- cinemas, movie theaters, which I, I guess I knew. And apparently they have a set, a setup. It's seven one four. It's seven surround sound speakers, a subwoofer, and then like four ceiling speakers. And so it seems to me that a twelve speaker system in a theater is one thing, but having trying to emulate that in your home or in a set of headphones is, uh, you know, it's it's. It's more artificial than it needs to be. I mean, if you need 12 speakers to hear the positioning of where, you know, the actors are moving and things like that, I think that's a bit much. But it, like I said, it might work in the cinema, but I don't think it works at home. There's more than that. If I'm not mistaken, there are 126 discrete channels above the 714 that can be directional. Uh, on Apple Music, they have a documentary of some producer in a studio, and you can see that he's working with like a mock-up on a computer screen, a positioning the the sound in an imaginary room. Now, as you say, for a cinema where you want that kind of experience, it does make sense. But I would argue that for home music listening, 
even mono is better than stereo. I mean, we had a discussion about this. I'll put a link in the show notes. The problem with stereo is you got to be at the sweet spot. Otherwise, it's totally unbalanced. When you're listening to a live performance, and so this is interesting, if you look at live versus studio, our friend Andy Doe, who is no longer in the music business, he oversaw the first Dolby Atmos classical music disc recording. It was the choir of King's College Chapel in Cambridge. And for something like that in a church where you get the resonance from behind and above, Dolby Atmos makes a lot of sense. You're going to be enveloped in the sound, but you're still going to hear the majority of it in front. But take that to a jazz ensemble or a four-piece rock band, and it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, you know, just to back up a second, Doug, why did you have to get to the elephant in the room so quickly? All those speakers (laughs) and two little speakers on your ears? I mean, to me, that's just comical. Um, But, yeah, like the, you know, the recording at King's College, that was recorded with all of that in mind. Yeah. You know, we're going to pipe in the ambiance. All of that is set up to do it. If they would have recorded that for with a stereo pair of microphones for two channel and it was mixed, mastered everything for two channel and then go back. Yeah. Give me a break. Yeah, so that's the problem. And and Doug explained something about filters and phasing and how they do it. I think they isolate certain frequencies, and it's easier to position the higher frequencies. So you're going to hear the hi-hat and the cowbell localized in space much more than you're going to hear the bass because of the size of the waves, the whole thing. Who decides where to put the piano and the cowbell in these things anyway? It's mixing engineers. I'll put a link in the show notes to a letter from Bob Lefsitz where he's talking about some producers who are telling him that they've just been churning this stuff out, like mass mass producing these remasterings. Um, some of them people pay a little bit of attention to, but in most cases, these are people who may not have any feeling for the music and are simply trying to apply an effect so it's interesting. My guess is you want to please Apple, who's paying your salary for this. You want to make the effect obvious, right? right? You don't want to make it subtle. You know what? And I, I, I've always told this, and I got to say this really quickly. And a sound engineer once told me, "If you can hear the effect, you're using it too much." And yeah. I think what they're doing is they're saying, "Listen to this great spatial. That's what it is. It's and it's it's crappy." Yeah, I <laughs> I look at that like, who's the artist? <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. I want to hear Pearl Jam. I don't want to hear Joe Sixpack, however good he may be at what he does, but he's not the artist. And, and funny enough, Pearl Jam actually had their guy create the Dolby Atmos version and all of that. I don't know about the spatial audio, you know, uh, conversion, but for most have of this, Have you yeah, heard it? I have not heard it in a proper room. Okay. So the Dolby Atmos version and the spatial audio version, I listened to it. I downloaded all kinds of spatial stuff going, I really got to give this a chance. And yuck. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, call me an old curmudgeon, but- I listen to those albums created for stereo. And when you listen to them on spatial, it just doesn't do it. Yeah. Well, this brings up the whole question, and and we've seen this in the past, albums that were recorded in mono where they spent a week doing the mixing and then they spent four hours mixing the stereo version. Kind of Blue is a good example. It doesn't mean that the Kind of Blue stereo mix is bad. In fact, we're so familiar with it that it's not bad, but it's not what any artist intended. It's it's like the sub-engineer got to do that bit while everyone else was out getting lunch or something. Yeah. I think it'll be great when some bands do this intentionally. I don't know, like, with all that's going on among Pink Floyd, among the members of Pink Floyd, I doubt we'll ever see them releasing a proper Dolby Atmos remix because they hate each other. But... I think one of the problems is 
So for now, not many people can hear this very well. Now, I can play it on my new iMac. I can play it on my MacBook Air. Doug has a new iMac, so we can hear the effect. But we don't have a room with Dolby Atmos speakers, real speakers. This is coming from the little speakers in the iMac, or it's coming from headphones. And what do we need to listen to this? How many more speakers do we need? More than anyone's ever going to do. I mean, to be, <laughs> right? Well, hold, no, no, no hold on. down this road. Uh, isn't, isn't it just that... Isn't it just that you can like add speakers pointing up from your front speakers to get the sound that reflects off the walls? I mean, Isn't you can make like a purse out of a sow's ear. So yes, you can do this. <laughs> you can get a Dolby Atmos speaker bar, <laughs> you know? I mean, and uh, that's official Dolby Atmos, you know? But I think we need to be honest and think you really need a complete real setup to do this. Any other way is just square peg, round hole. But how about just for video? I mean, as far as using a soundbar with these sort of effects in a, in a simple video, home video setup, that would be okay though, right? That, that feels a little better than listening to music this way with where you've never had a reference other than the center before. So I don't mind seeing the, t I don't mind having the crazy effects See them on football, right? See it on football, you hear the cheering and the out uh, way beyond the uh, the screens. Yeah, you know, I was just reminded of something. Back when I got Windows ninety eight SR two, it came with a funky little thing where you could play this bee flying around, and it would go behind you, and you could hear oh, it all. Yeah. To me, that's the same thing as spatial audio. It was whacked <laughs> out. Obviously, there was two speakers sitting on my compact Perserio monitor, and yet it sounded like the bee was behind me and flew yeah. around my head. I, You know, it's so gimmicky to me. And, you know, you have to look at who's doing it. Apple, they are a public company. They need to make money. They need to push something that's different. I mean, that's that shouldn't be lost on anybody. Yes. Now, let's bear in mind who that they've created this for. It's not for you and I. It's not for people listening to speakers. It's for people listening with headphones, the AirPods Pro and the AirPods Max and some of the Beats. Doug, do your Beats do this as well? Yeah, the solo pros can pick it up. And so what I find, since I now have a pair of AirPods Max that I bought recently, is it's very clear that this Dolby Atmos slash spatial audio is designed to listen to on headphones. Now... I don't actually like listening to music on headphones that much, or at least not all the time, because that thing of being in between, in the center of the music is just not realistic. Sometimes it can be relaxing, depending on how it's recorded, but it, it's artificial. The music, when you listen to live music, it comes from in front of you, and you hear some stuff coming from behind, from reflections and all that. And so what I think is they've just created this created. They've just adopted this. They didn't create anything. They've adopted this so people with headphones can say, gee whiz, wow, and think that they got a good deal on the headphones because now the music sounds better. It might sound better to them, though. I mean, I, I hate to... Well, exactly. It, it, it's going to sound it like something more spacious. to some people. It is. Even Freebird is, is more spacious. The problem is that the way the directionality is done sometimes just doesn't make sense. And when you're talking sound better... I think a lot of these people who make fun of audiophiles for, you know, you did an A-B blind test, you think it's better. It might not. They should take a step back and say, is this really better? Have we compared? Here's the original version. Here's the new version. You know, is the better because we're being told spatial audio is the next greatest thing ever? And, you know, everyone's got so much going on in their life. Apple comes out and says, here's the next greatest thing ever. 
they're just putting the earphones on and going, all right, sold. I guess you guys have done the homework. Yeah. Okay, so Dolby Atmos and Spatial Audio, while they're similar, they're not exactly the same. And I'll tell you, I got these headphones about 10 days ago, and for music, they're okay, but they really shine when you're watching a movie on anything with that for audio. Movie on my iPad, instead of listening to the two little tinny speakers on the iPad, which are actually quite good on the iPad Pro, all of a sudden it takes on a totally different world when it's in Spatial Atmos. It really is good for that. It's also something where you're less worried about the limited bandwidth of Bluetooth than you are with music. The AAC codec is, what, 264 kilobits per second, so that's kind of limited. That doesn't bother you in a movie where you're hearing dialogue, where you're hearing effects and all that. One thing, if anyone does have these headphones, you need to go into settings accessibility, audio, visual, headphone accommodation, where you have some really interesting settings. Doug is shaking his head here. But there's really interesting settings. And I was watching something last night, a TV show, and by tweaking a setting, I was able to hear the dialogue a lot better. So these are settings that are less for music and more for video. So the thing about the spatial audio, now here's what I don't understand. The idea of spatial audio is it tracks your head. So let's say I'm sitting in front of my iMac right now and Chris Conacher is in spatial audio and he starts talking and I turn my head to the right, but I still hear him to the left. In other words, the more I turn my head, the more his, his position in the soundscape goes to the left. Does that make sense? I hope everyone understands that. Yep. And... Why do I care about that if I'm watching a movie? <laughs> if I turn to pick up a glass and drink something, I don't want the character who's in the center to all of a sudden be on the right. It doesn't make any sense to me. Hmm. Well, wait a minute. Now, there must be situations where that could work. Like, how about background sounds? Maybe not the dialogue, but maybe, you know, sound effects or things like that, where, you know, if you're in a harbor scene and you hear the foghorn, you turn your head and, oh, yeah, the foghorn's still over there. You know what I mean? If it works that way. Have you heard anything? I mean, that's how it's supposed well, to work, right? Yeah. Everything around you stays in the same spot. Right. Right. The whole soundscape's supposed to, so you're supposed to rotate in the soundscape. But if I'm watching a movie, I'm looking at a flat screen. I'm not looking on this sort of 360 degree screen. <laughs> oh, I totally agree that I think it's silly. I mean, I'm expecting a, you know, facing front. That's where the, that's where the action is happening. That's where the sound should be coming from. Not this, I'm leaning over to grab another handful of peanuts. Why is there a foghorn in my left ear? <laughs> now, Apple's going to extend this to music. And they've been using some phrases. I don't have the exact wording here, like being in the center of the band while they're performing. Now, Gross. Yeah. <laughs> color me old-fashioned, but I've never imagined being on stage with a band. Okay, I have. I've had a couple of dreams where I pick up the guitar and I do some killer riffs and, you know. But no, seriously, that's not how you listen to music. Does that mean well, that's that— that's also not how—music isn't produced that way, so that if you were in the center of it, you're, you're in the middle of the band. This Guys in Los Angeles recorded their parts six months ago, and they're, you know, on another tape. There, and there are some rare cases where this would be possible. I think Stockhausen did a piece for, like, eight orchestras in different spaces in a big space. So, right, that kind of makes sense. I've heard some classical works where there is a spatiality where you might have musicians on the stage, but other musicians in different locations. A, a Bach work with an organ where the organ is in a different place from the orchestra, that might work, but I just don't get it for anything else. Yeah, and I think— it shouldn't be lost on people that we're not curmudgeons against change and against technology, but it needs to be used right. Yeah. You know, the, the way this is used so far, and I guess how else do you launch it if you don't go back and try and transfer a big catalog? But 
I don't know. I, I look forward to the future, I guess, with all of this. I, I, I'm not going to get AirPods Max or whatever they're called now so I can turn my head and, you know, the audio is <laughs> going to go wherever it goes. Well, I'm, I'm serious. For, for video, they're great. They really are. It's really quite impressive. But for the rest, for music, it's, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a gimmick. Now, I'm going back to, I think, 1980 when Pink Floyd did The Wall and I saw them at the Nassau Coliseum. And they had speakers all around the top of the arena. And so they were using the surround sound multi-channel thing quite a bit. But there aren't that many concerts I've seen like that. And it's also not very effective in an arena like that. But about the only effect you can get is like these huge panning effects. Yeah, and it depends on where you're sitting. circulation effects in this. Because the, the sweet spot is like right where the sound person right, is, exactly. right? And so everyone else, you're too close to one of the speakers. Again, if this is going to reproduce the ambience of a live performance, then I think that's kind of interesting. But I think that's not what they want. I think they want to focus on the gimmick. Now, maybe this is an overreaction in the beginning that it's going to be gimmick and gimmick. And then producers, as we go forward, will start taking control of this technology and using it more creatively. <laughs> He's got his fingers crossed. You can't even cross, you can't even cross your fingers. <laughs> Chris crosses I, you his know, fingers. I, I don't know. I just think gimmick. And if I had to predict in like three years, Apple won't even be talking about this. Well, they never talk about anything three years later. Like they'll release something. I remember when <laughs> some Apple engineer went on vacation in Mexico and came back and created iMovie, right? They talked about that for a year. And then forget it. iMovie's just been stagnant ever since. That's the way they are. Yeah. So one problem I do have, though, is spatial audio defaulting or the playback defaulting to the spatial audio version. Well, you can turn that off. Who's going to turn that off? You, me, Doug, most people. I think you. No, no I think you. Ha I think it's off by default. I. And that's why. Don't know. And that's why. I, I think it's if you on go to like auto or something or. Yeah, it has an. There is an auto setting. I think that's the default setting is auto. So, it's going to be playing spatial audio. If you go to any of the spatial audio playlists, I'll link to the rock spatial audio playlist and you click the little, you know, where the editorial information is and you click or tap that. There's a whole explanation of what you need to do in the settings because they're trying to educate people about this. So nobody's going to read those. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what I, I don't mean? know. I don't I, know. I mean, when's the last time I, I'll speak for myself? Yes. I don't read anything. I instructions for something. I'd give it a shot first. So people are just going to play the spatial audio. And if they hear music, okay, fine. I must have read them. Yeah, I think for the most part, a lot of people are just not even going to pay attention to that and just turn the music on and see whatever comes out is what comes out. Yeah. Chris, what's the feeling among audiophiles of surround sound and multi-channel audio in general? Is this something common? Now, we're, we're looking at Chris on Skype, and he's in his uh, attic listening room, and I see $25,000 worth of speaker behind him, the other 25000 is outside the frame. But you don't have any rear speakers, surround speakers, or anything, do you? I do not. I would love to do it, but to do it at the level of my the two channels that I do have is prohibitively expensive. Audiophiles love surround sound and Dolby Atmos when it's done you know, by the artist or it's created to be that type of listening experience. It can be transcending. You know, if you have control over the whole room, it can be great. But it's prohibitively expensive. Even, oh, gosh, yes. Even even at a normal budget like mine, it means paying two or three times as much for the speakers. 
Is there enough content that is recorded in 5.1 or 7.1 correctly recorded? Because I know I see a lot of remixes of old albums released in surround versions. Do they go back to the original tapes and do it professionally? Or is it like this, the Dolby Atmos stuff where it's just, you know, yeah. they do a quick remix? There's like four of them that go back to the you know original to create something that's cool. The rest is not. Or there's super niche audiophile stuff. And, you know, we all know about that. And, you know, in addition to price, the fact that all of this stuff needs cabling and it's going to be strewn about your room. And yeah. if I have rear channels that need speaker stands, I mean, oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm a knuckle dragon card carrying audiophile. That stuff even bugs me. So for Joe Sixpack, it ain't ever going to happen. That's why we have the sound bars that have Dolby Atmos built in. Right. Yeah, I once had a surround system some years ago, and it was a real hassle with the wiring and everything. We had a dining room table behind like where the TV was, so I'd had to put the rear speakers on the dining room table when we wanted to watch a movie, because I couldn't keep them there permanently. And it just seems like it's too much of a complication for a, a very minor improvement. Maybe people who are really movie obsessive, they really do want that surround sound. But to be honest, given the quality of sound bars today... I have a Sonos Beam, and that's $350, and I'm very interested in getting the Arc, which is 800 which is Dolby Atmos. Have you heard Kirk's theory about uh, about his Apple product that he, he's wishing for? This would be a great opportunity to talk about the home bar. Yes. I, I, since, since Apple released the HomePods, they didn't sell well, and then they discontinued them. But a couple months before they discontinued them, they added Dolby Atmos support. So if you've got two HomePods connected to an Apple TV, you can get Dolby Atmos through them. Because remember, they have one woofer and seven tweeters. But why would they have discontinued them just after they added this Dolby Atmos feature, now that we've got Dolby Atmos music? So my theory is we're going to see something like a home bar, which would be an Apple sound bar that combines the Apple TV hardware along with audio. So think of like the Sonos Arc, Sony Dolby Atmos soundbar, just stick a couple of chips in for the Apple TV hardware and everything comes in that soundbar. And I mean, it, it's been, what, more than six months since they discontinued the HomePods? And I said right then, how could they have discontinued this without having something else ready to release? And the fact now that we've got the Dolby Atmos slash spatial audio music makes me think that we're definitely going to see something at some point, maybe in the fall, that's focused on combining the Apple TV, which, you know, the Apple TV Plus service is one of their big pushes. Combine that with a hardware device. All the Apple TV Plus series and movies are in Dolby Atmos. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a direction I won't be surprised to see them go. I mean, otherwise, they're just giving all that to Sonos right? and, and whoever, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, see, but then it gets complicated. So the you have to have eARC to do this, and the eARC has to go through your TV. And so if I were to get the Sony Arc, can I get the Dolby Atmos from my Apple TV device, even if my TV isn't Dolby Atmos? Do I have to get a new TV? How does that work? Okay. How many Apple customers did you just lose? <laughs> <laughs> no, no offense. In the spirit in which it's intended. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. The, the thing is, audio is complicated, but TV is 10 times yeah. more complicated. With all these different standards and things you have to do to make everything compatible, I have no need to upgrade my TV. So I'm not going to upgrade the audio if I need a new TV to get the better audio. Yeah, and speaking of standards, anytime you involve HDMI, oh, my God, it's game oh, over. Yeah. 2.1, yeah. 2.0, all of those. Talk to any 
home theater integrator installation. It's just an absolute nightmare. At least we don't have that so much with music. Yeah, correct. It's awesome. For, fortunately for <laughs> now. But these Dolby Atmos things are proprietary. You can only stream them from Apple Music. You can't buy any of this on the iTunes store. So for now, this is just Apple. Now, I know other companies are going to come out with or have Dolby Atmos, but they're doing it differently. And uh, oh, The Verizon announcement. Yeah, Verizon. Yeah, so they're going to make a faux Dolby Atmos on phones. So that's just going to be one of those surround sound plugins, right? Probably. It has to be. And it just makes me think of who from the record label just says, ah, okay, create whatever you want, just have at it, go sick. Right. I think yeah, you're, you're probably right because it's like it's just another, uh, just another conduit for, for money. You know, what the heck? Sure. Crank it out. It's just another stream to exploit the revenues from the music from the back catalog. Yeah. Yuck. Whatever happened to just making it okay. sound better, more like the actual yeah. thing. Well, is yeah. is it a kind of a – is it striving to make us think that it's better just artificially? I mean, we started with, you know, mono, and then we went to stereo, then we had the Walkman, et cetera, et cetera. And we've had these progressive improvements over time and high resolution and all that. And the, the thing about high resolution, we've discussed it many times, it's not for everyone. Some people appreciate it, most don't. So Apple doing high resolution makes absolutely no sense. But the Dolby Atmos is a way that they can sort of say, we've got something that's really different. It's and HDR for audio. Really cool at first. You know, like still images. When HDR came out for photography, yeah. everybody did it constantly. Every magazine cover was HDR to the max. And now you go, oh, God, that's a bit too much. HDR for video, different deal. But yeah, that's what I look at this as. Is yeah, HDR those early HDR audio. photos looked like people were on acid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if that's what you want, great. But I don't think that's uh, the, the goal. Well, well so it. maybe what we're seeing is just a normal evolution, that it comes out with, with an excess and it's going to be reined in. As people start producing music, it'll be a subtle effect. You'll notice it if you pay attention, but you won't hear the piano behind you to the left anymore. You know, that made me just think now, broadcast radio is totally out of the loop on this, right? I mean, can they broadcast? Can you, how can you broadcast that Can you do multi-channel? Well, you can do stereo, so you, you might probably... Be able to, you might be able to do some phasing tricks, but I'm not really sure how much you can really do as far as, you know, sending some kind of three-dimensional sound over broadcast. But does anyone expect the sound of broadcast radio to be good? <laughs> well, see, that's been my argument since I was in it. Because because you can stream radio now, and that's the way that a radio station – I'm thinking that BBC Radio 3 Classic might be doing that. Like when they have the proms that they'll stream in Dolby Atmos over the internet, assuming that your computer can decode it and that you've got the speakers that can listen to it or the headphones and – Yeah. Well, what's making people buy cars now is the technology gets outdated so fast. The car – if you just – you know, have regular maintenance on your car, you're going to be able to drive it for a very long time now. So the technology gets outdated. So you just make me think, oh my gosh, now here come the receivers with spatial audio, Dolby Atmos. Yeah. Yeah. It's all coming and it's another <laughs> revenue center. Would work pretty well in a car, actually. It would be kind of fun in the car, <laughs> you yeah. know, when you think about it. I would much prefer a car situation than headphones because you have more speakers with which to yeah. address. It could be very cool. But I don't know. 
driving to to the store, I don't know that I have to hear. Yeah, but it's <laughs> you know, but it's the Wayne's World experience. No, it's when it's, you're doing that road trip and you have Freebird on, yeah, right, at, you know, exactly. maximum volume. I guess it never is about need. That's for sure. <laughs> no. But but again, if you're listening to music loud in the car on that road trip, you got the windows open, so <laughs> it, it's not the audio quality that matters. It's the it's the drive in the audio that pushes you forward. <laughs> as soon as they go to motorcycle Dolby Atmos, then it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris Conacher, audiophile style. Link in the show notes. Thanks again for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. You know, before we get to our next track picks, I just want to take a second to plug Chris again, the podcast specifically. Just search for Audiophile Style on your favorite podcatcher. He does interviews with the people in the industry who make high-end audio, and he has some really great connections with a lot of these people. So it's it's not like just a couple of guys sitting around arguing about cables. They really talk about the tech. It's pretty good. So once again, it's Audiophile with the PH, Audiophile Style. Now you may. My next track pick is a pick, but a bit of a rant, if that's allowed. Will you permit? Oh, yeah. Sure. Go ahead. Okay. I had an opportunity to mention Hotel California, the Eagle song, in one of my podcasts recently. And I wanted to put a link in the show notes for anyone who doesn't know Hotel California. There are some people in the world who've never heard Hotel California, the song, not the entire album. And I went to YouTube and I found a Hotel California live video HQ I don't know if this is a legitimate, but it's got two and a half million views, so apparently it is. And I I will come out and say that Hotel California is one of the perfect rock and roll songs. It it kind of follows that template with like Stairway to Heaven, Free Bird, right? There's that slow beginning and then it's emotional and then it kind of gets crazy at the end and all that. And seeing the Eagles perform live in 1977 is actually quite cool. This was, they were at the, the peak of their career. I so wish I had gotten tickets for them back then. I really love the Eagles. It was impossible to get tickets. But here's what's disappointing. You get to the guitar solo at the end, and they play it note for note. They take absolutely no liberties. And there's Joe Walsh and Bernie Wedden, the two guitarists, because there's this dueling guitarist bit, right? And so Bernie Wedden, he's got the, the double neck guitar with 12 string and six string. And Joe Walsh, he's got the bandana around his head and he's looking really stoned. And they're smiling at each other because they know they're on camera and they're doing the thing, facing each other, like getting the vibe off of each other. And they play it note for goddamn note and they didn't change anything. The only change was at the end, the song on the album, the studio album, it fades out at the end and they came up with this like da-da-da-da-da-da ending for live, which which makes sense for a one live. One of those Holstein rock and roll endings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, one of the planets, yeah. You, you can't fade out in a live performance. I mean, it, it would just be weird you can kind of just noodle at the end, but they didn't do that. So you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. But you could maybe once in a while improvise a solo to Hotel California. Still love the song, but disappointing. Doug, what have you got? Hey, everyone. I found something. I found a, a band that I was not familiar with, which is unusual because this band is from the United Kingdom. They're a, a blues rock band that formed in the early 60s and still going today in, in a, one form or another. Um, they are the Groundhogs, and they are a blues band that formed in the early 60s as a as a backup for John Lee Hooker when he toured the United Kingdom. And they, they did likewise for other American blues people when they went to the United Kingdom. And I guess they played well enough together that they thought they could make a go of it, and they put out a bunch of records in the 60s. Again, I'm really surprised I've never heard of them. 
1971, they, they actually opened for the Rolling Stones on their uh, UK tour that year. Again, I, don't, I remember reading about that tour. I don't remember reading about the, the Groundhogs. So anyway, uh, I finally had a chance to hear uh, this album called Solid. And it's the last album that the original configuration of the band put out in 1974. So it's kind of world-weary and whatnot. And it's, it's really kind of a, a power trio album. They kind of evolved from this blues boogie band into this, well, what can we do in the mid-1970s to sound relevant? And they were like a power trio. They're, and essentially a power trio, bass, guitar, and drums, and try to make as much noise as you can and try to make as much interesting music as you can that way, uh, like, a, like Mountain did or cream sort of kind of did uh so uh, it's a very interesting album it's psychedelic it's it's power it's uh it's quite good uh solid by the groundhogs is my next track this was episode number 214 of the next track thank you for listening you can start or join a conversation in the comment section of this episode show page at our website you'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode just visit thenexttrack.com you can follow us on Twitter, at NextTrackCast. And don't forget, you can support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We are ad-free, as you've probably noticed, so your support is what keeps us going. Visit patreon.com slash thenexttrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.